This is To and From, a podcast from Delta and StoryCorps that shares stories of what we give and what we gain when we choose to explore. I'm Michael Garofalo. So far, we've heard about people who left the places they were from in search of community or because that greatest of motivators, love, pulled them toward the people they cared about most. In this, our third and final episode, we've got stories about people who decided to take control of their futures by moving to a completely new place. They picked up, relocated across the world, started over, and in the process, they rediscovered who they are, what truly matters to them, and how they wanted to live the rest of their lives. It sounds a little bit like everyone's fantasy, right? I mean, who hasn't at some point, maybe while you're sitting in traffic on your commute home after a seriously frustrating day at work, who hasn't felt like packing it all up and starting over in some far-flung, exciting place? But the stories in this episode show us it's never quite that simple. Let's start with Shay Cannon. She's a self-described nomad whose love of travel started on a trip she took when she was just nine years old. The first time I flew on a plane, I flew from Birmingham, Alabama to New Jersey, and I flew Delta Airlines. I distinctly remember I was flying by myself. And so I had a flight attendant that was checking on me. And so (laughs) my first memory of flying was actually getting my little wings and meeting the pilot. Shay had to put her love of travel on hold for much of her adult life as a single mom, raising a family, and working in high-powered corporate jobs. But something about that first trip stayed with her and motivated her to seek out a new future when she was in her late 40s. I was a paralegal for a Forbes 500 law firm. I've only worked for two law firms in my 13-year career, and both were high up on the Forbes list. You get there and you don't know what time you're going to go home. And, you know, it's kind of frowned upon to take vacation. But I always just remembered feeling like, what if my life was actually the vacation? Shay left the corporate world in 2017. Her kids had grown and she started her own consulting business. But she still felt like something was missing. That is, until she spoke with her best friend, Malika Holloway. Here's Shay and Malika at StoryCorps. So I remember the day we were on the phone and just joking and laughing. And I was like, you don't have to stay here. You can go anywhere. You can go to China. You can go to Thailand. You know, we laughed and joked about it. And then about two weeks later, (laughs) got on the phone and said, so I'm moving. So I sold everything and everything that I couldn't sell, I gave away. away. (laughs) (laughs) Out of all the places you could go, what made you go to Mexico? Well, I'll admit that at first it was scary. At first, I didn't know how I was going to do it. You just have to do things and figure it out. You know, I took Spanish in high school. I took a little more Spanish in college. (laughs) I still got there and didn't know anything. So one of the things that I kind of use as a rule to stay grounded is no matter what language that you speak, being a good person doesn't need interpretation. Mm -hmm. Being a good person is recognized by other good people. And that energy It brings you together even when your words do not. And so going to the same restaurants over and over again, running to the same people, one of the restaurant owners would make me practice my Spanish. <laughs> he, even though he, he could speak English, he would correct me when I mispronounced things on the menu. He would make me, you know, start saying conversational phrases. And it actually helped me to get mm-hmm. better. And so to me, kindness is a universal language. 
What have you learned about life, about yourself, about people? I really found out who I was. And I also found out it's okay to not be who you thought you were. Mm -hmm. Instead Mm -hmm. of my life being Mm -hmm. so rush, rush, hurry. Going to this culture where everything is done manana, which is Spanish for tomorrow, Tomorrow. right? (laughs) But they're not actually talking about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They're talking about later. (laughs) That could be a month from now. It's so slow. And what that does is it gives me a chance to be intentional and really have the life that I wanted that was opposite of the life that I had in corporate America. I wake up happy every day. If I want to stop in the middle of the day to do yoga, you know, I can do that. (laughs) If I want to start the day stepping out onto the patio and watching the sunrise, those are not things that you can do when you feel rushed, right? right? right. Those are not things you even think to do. So would you say that you love yourself more than you did before? I would say that I love myself more because I know more who I am. I now actually own my life. And making those decisions, when I I said that I go out and I like to watch the sunrise, well, I love to just say thank you Mm -hmm. because I find myself saying a lot that I love my life. And I really do. That's Shay Cannon with her best friend, Malika Holloway. She's been in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, since January and lives two blocks from the beach. And she tells us the next stop is Colombia and then maybe Asia. Jennifer Gray also took a leap in her 40s. She was recently divorced and wanted to reclaim her sense of self now that her marriage had ended. She sold the successful small business she had been running since she was a teenager, and she chose someplace very different from her home in Missouri to start over. Shanghai, China. And she entered a new profession, teaching. She spoke with her friend Karen Sampson about what it was like to go from small business owner in America to teaching business to high school students in China. Owning my own businesses through my 20s and early 30s, I couldn't take two weeks off. And so to reach into my 40s and suddenly be able to vacation, I'm free. I can travel. I can go anywhere. And so I moved to Shanghai, China. Before you moved, what did you envision life in Shanghai to be like? I don't think I was really prepared at all. The culture shock was overwhelming. And you're going from the suburbs of Missouri. That was a big jump to a city of 24 million now. I don't know the language. I had come from driving a car. Now, all of a sudden, I'm having to take buses and metros and scooters and taxis. But still, everybody kind of feels a little bit out of place. Like, even my Chinese friends, because if they're not from Shanghai, then they're not considered local either. What was a moment in Shanghai where you truly felt at home? Not too long after I moved there, I was cooking dinner... (laughs) I had to run outside for something. I was not even thinking about it. I walked out of my apartment, walked downstairs, and realized to lock myself out of the apartment. I had to knock on my neighbor's door and introduce myself very carefully, and they were able to help me call my landlord and bring a locksmith out. And I think sitting outside on the curb for 45 minutes, meeting my neighbor's (laughs) While I waited for the locksmith, that's when I truly felt at home and felt like I was part of this neighborhood. So how did you come to work for the school where you're working? So the school I teach in now, it's a Chinese state school. 
and I work in the international division. I'm only one of seven foreign teachers. I wasn't a teacher before I moved to China. I'm a business person. I started my first business when I was 19 years old. And I get to go into work every day, and it's not like work because I just talk to the students about business. So I'm exciting this next generation. And for most of my students, they're planning to have careers in this. So they're interested and they're engaged. And the students teach me excellent Mandarin phrases. So we have a lot of fun with that. And for a couple of weeks, I was wearing a green winter cap to class every day. And I'm like, oh, my cap's so cute. And a student stops and pulls me aside and says, do you know what the symbolism of that green cap is? And this is his first interaction with his foreign teacher and had to explain it to me, which I was very quickly embarrassed. It's like a scarlet letter. It means that you've cheated on your boyfriend or your husband and went back and asked some of my colleagues and they said, oh, yes, that is what it means. And you should not be wearing that as a teacher. It's not appropriate. So this move to China, how has this experience made you love something about yourself? This entire experience has made me rediscover that I really like myself. I love myself. I had forgotten that for a number of years. I was in a situation where I wasn't thinking of myself and had forgotten that I'm smart, I'm interesting, I'm fun. I now know that I can meet people. I can navigate difficult situations with language barriers. But I feel like at 45, I've recreated my home in this really crazy, chaotic, beautiful culture. That's the biggest thing that's changed for me is by understanding my strength, it's open possibilities. That's Jennifer Gray with her friend, Karen Sampson. In the last two stories, we heard from people who left home to build a new future for themselves. In our final story, we'll hear from someone who felt like he had to leave his home country in order to help build a better future for its poorest citizens. David Niemer is an assistant professor of media studies at the University of Virginia, but he's originally from Vitoria, Brazil. Though he grew up in a wealthy family, in college, David spent his free time working with marginalized people in his city's favelas, or slums as some people call them. He came to see how technology centers within the favelas serve as havens from drug cartels and provide safe community spaces. And this observation would lead David to an academic career and another continent. At StoryCorps, David spoke with his sister, Paula Baiao. I was basically teaching poor people how to use computers. And every time I would go back home, everyone would ask me, what was I seeing? So shootouts were happening quite often. But I decided not to focus on that when reporting back to you guys because that is not what the favela is all about. Favela is about hardworking people, people that have to face all kinds of injustices to make a living. What was your reaction when I told you that I was going to work in favelas? At the first moment, I was very afraid. But I was really proud of you because you were changing lives. I could see that I was helping people in the favelas, but my help could only go so far. That's when I decided to go to the U.S. to get out of my bubble in Brazil and see the world in different ways.
In 2010, David left Brazil and relocated to Bloomington, Indiana, where he started a PhD program at Indiana University, studying the human dimension and social impact of technology in favelas. How have you discovered yourself living abroad? I'm the youngest. I was very attached to the family. I've always had you, our brother, our parents to protect me. It was always good because you'd never let anybody bully me. So you were always there for me. And I left home quite early. I was 23, whereas here in America, that's very late as Americans leave at a much earlier stage in their lives. But Brazilians tend to live at home till they get married. So for me, it was a bold move to leave. I fear that I wasn't going to make it. I fear that I wasn't going to be strong enough. But once I was put to test, I realized that I could be very strong. And tell me about adapting to American life. Something interesting that I learned here is that when you see somebody on the street and you don't know them, they usually smile at you. And that in Brazil means that that person knows you. So every time somebody would just smile at me because they were being nice, I would just go and talk to them and say, hey, how do you know me again? <laughs> I think being exposed to other cultures and other people has developed this sense of empathy within me that allows me to put myself in other people's shoes. I also truly appreciate the freedom of engaging with social issues here in the U.S. and how professors are valued here. So when I go back to Brazil, I don't come back as just a professor, but I come back as a professor in the U.S. and that opens doors for me. And I try to capitalize on that privilege to help the poor. That's David Niemer with his sister, Paula. He continues to do fieldwork in Brazilian favelas and has also done research in Cuba and Appalachia. His book, Favela Digital, shows how people in favelas use technology in their everyday lives and how urban planners and officials can learn from their experiences when thinking about the cities of the future. This has been To and From, a podcast from Delta and StoryCorps. We've traveled quite a long way over these past three episodes. Back at the beginning of episode one, I told you that these stories were about connections. And we've heard that over and over again, that the ties that bind us, whether it's community, love, or a sense of a shared future, can pull us around the globe, that with courage, curiosity, and an open mind, we can take leaps of faith into the unknown to discover so much about ourselves and others. And maybe in the process, even create the world we want to live and love in. We hope you've enjoyed the journey. This podcast was produced by Luis Gallo, Mitra Banshahi, Alita Cooper, Susan Lee, Emily Shaw, and Alyssa Pelk. It was mixed by David Herman. I'm Michael Garofalo. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>